You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our life crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Well, it's good to see you all. And uh, again, thank you for joining us in worship today. We are diving into 2 Samuel deep. I mean, it's good. we're going deep in that. God's word is, is giving us so many incredible examples on how to live a godly lifestyle. So if you're new with us, we just want to say, hey, we go to the word of God. We, we open up the, the scriptures. We look at what it says. We dive into the context and the history of what, what uh, God's word says. And then we, we apply it to our own lives. We see the good, the bad, and the ugly all laid out, and we can, we can resonate with a lot of what's happening in the Scripture. And, and in this passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel, we're, we're studying the life of David. He's the shadow king of the greater king to come, the Jesus figure, the, 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 the shadow of what God was getting ready to do to bless the world through his son, Jesus Christ. It started way back in the Garden of Eden when the Lord said, I will cause the seed of the woman to crush the head of the snake and the snake will bruise his heel. That was a prophetic word given in the garden of Eden after the fall of man, that God had a plan to work this for good. And that's what we're seeing here. And it came through Abraham, through the Jewish people, through the life of Jesus, or I'm sorry, through the life of David and his lineage. And then we see Jesus, but we got to go back and know these characters. We got to understand what these characters were all about. And so we are looking at the life of David right now. We'll be in second Samuel chapter 15, but in this passage today, I really want us to begin to wrap our head around. Are, are we on God's side? There's a great story in American history during the Civil War in the 1800s. A group of uh, pastors uh, got together to have a prayer breakfast with then President Abraham Lincoln. And one of the ministers came up to President Lincoln. He said, Mr. President, let us pray that God is on our side. And with great wisdom, like only Abraham Lincoln could do, Abraham Lincoln responded. He said, no, gentlemen, my concern is not whether God is on our side, but my greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Are you on God's side? You know, we often say, God is with us. Well, okay, yes, he is, but really we should be saying, are we with God? You know, in America, we say, God bless America. So, I mean, everybody from, you know, atheists will even say that, you know, God bless America, right? And, and to me, I'm, I'm really starting to feel convicted. It's like, no, 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 stop America saying God bless America. How about we start saying America bless God? right? America, bless God. We need to be on God's side. Stop saying, well, God's our little magic rabbit foot. You know, when we come over here, he's going to give us, if he's going to bless us. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, it's, he is, is not a good luck charm. And we're going to see that here in a second with what David experienced in second Samuel 15. But I want to take you to a passage before we jump into there in, in this passage of Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. This is a really cool story. Joshua is getting ready to take the city of Jericho. He's walking outside the, the, the Israelite camp one night. He looks up and he sees this man, this, this, this warrior man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua goes up to him and he says this, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And Joshua hears the response from this man and he says, neither but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in worship and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? 
And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, we see this oftentimes in scripture. It says the angel of the Lord said. Now, angel just means messenger. Now, but who is the commander of heaven's army? No, not Michael. That's close. Christ. Christ, right? Jesus Christ. Because when we see him in Revelation riding back on the horse, the white horse, he's, the, he's commanding all of heaven's army. He's the commander of heaven's army. And then Joshua falls down and worships. Anytime in scripture, whenever angels, like we would know as angels, like Michael or Gabriel or some of those angels would show up to man and men would start to worship the angels, what would the angels do? Whoa, 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 hey, hold on a second, don't do that. No, 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 I'm not God. Don't give me your worship, right? You need to worship God, the Father. I'm just here as a messenger. But in this case, the angel receives the worship from Joshua. And then he says, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. He's in the presence of Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. You know, Jesus has always been. He always was. He, he, didn't, he wasn't created. He's always been the word of God. Jesus came to Joshua. And this is Jesus' response. Are you for us or against us? Neither. I'm on my own side. The question is, are you for me or against me? That's what, that's what Jesus was saying. That's what the pre-incarnate Christ was telling Joshua right there. So we see, we see this all throughout Scripture. Are you on God's side or are you against God? Those are the only two options that you have. Now, my hope and prayer, and, and just I just plead with us as a church that we will constantly say, Lord, where are you? How are you moving? I want to align with that. Let me see it and let me be obedient to that. That should be our prayer. So let's open up 2 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to pray. We're going to dive into this passage, and we're going to talk about being on God's side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a God who is so good. You're righteous. You're a warrior. Lord, and I pray that as a nation and as a community and as a church, God, we constantly ask the question, are we on your side? We want to go where you're going. We want to do what you're doing. Where you lead us, we will follow. Just make it clear and help us to have the strength to be obedient to where you're moving. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. So if you're new here, for sake of time, we're going we're to cover a lot of ground. I'm not going to dive into the history of who Absalom was, but just know this. Absalom was the son of David. He's trying to seize the throne from David. He thinks David has done a terrible job. And in Absalom's defense, David kind of has done a terrible job. Okay? He was not a good father. He was not a good uh, husband. He was real, his house was falling apart. He took another man's wife, killed that man. And just, and all of what God said was going to happen because David was foolish and did wicked things. God said, this is going to be your destruction, David. Your, your house is going to always have chaos in it. And now fast forward a, a dozen years, a, a decade uh, later, we see now this is coming to fruition. We see David is now living with the consequences of a sin, but God is still good. And David knows that. David knows he deserves everything he's getting, but God is good, and David is going to rely on his understanding of God's goodness to get him through this. Now, Absalom, his son, is not understanding what God is doing. Absalom doesn't know where God is at right now. Absalom is trying to steal the throne from his father. Verse 13 is where we're going to pick up. We're going to be in uh, verse 13 all the way through 37 today in, verse, in chapter 15. So, a messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all of Israel has joined Absalom in the conspiracy against you. All of Israel. Isn't this crazy? Because just a few years ago, about 20 years earlier, we heard Israelites singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. All of Israel was going from Saul to David. 
And now all of Israel is going from David to Absalom. The hearts of the people are fickle. If you've not experienced this in your own life, please know you will. You will have friends that become your enemies and enemies that will become your friends. You have family members that want to disown you and then you'll have people that aren't even part of your family that you bring in and make them part of your family. That is life. This happens all the time. Why is that the case? It is because people live in a world of offense and they don't know what to do when the offense happens. And David didn't lead through offense well. He didn't bring justice when an offense occurred. And Absalom didn't know how to forgive. And now we see all of it's coming to a head. And Absalom has stolen the hearts of Israel from his father. And now the message is getting to David. And he's losing his kingdom right before his very eyes. In verse 14, David said, Then we must flee at once or it will be too late. David urged his men, Hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. He had a heart. For the city. He had the heart for the people. He didn't want to bring disaster upon the people in the city that he loved so dearly. But it, it reminds me of something David wrote way back at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 1. We begin to see how God is removing the throne from Saul and giving it to David. Remember, Saul was David's enemy, but David still respected Saul because God had raised him up. And he wrote a song where he he is lamenting. He's crying out for Saul and for, for Jonathan after they died on that hill, that, that mountain of the Mount Gilboa in the battle. He f gets word that they died and his heart breaks for them. And he writes this song called the Song of the Bow and it talks about how the mighty have fallen. And it says this in 2 Samuel 1 verse 19, it says, your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. Speaking of Saul and Jonathan. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Don't announce the news in Gath. And I want you to remember the, the city Gath. That's a, that's a Philistine city. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Eshkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice, and the pagans will laugh in triumph. Oh, mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you. No fruitful fields producing offsprings of grain. For there the shield of the mighty heroes was defiled. The shield of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil. The bow of Jonathan was powerful, and the sword of Saul did its mighty work. They shed the blood of their enemies and pierced the bodies of mighty heroes. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than eagles and stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing, in garments decorated with gold. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of a woman. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen. Stripped of their weapons, they lie dead. This was all because of God's blessing being removed from Saul because of Saul's disobedience. And now I wonder if David, in the back of his head, is hearing the song of the bow, and he's thinking, oh my goodness, the same song can now apply to me how the mighty have fallen. That song was written because somebody disobeyed God and the kingdom was removed from their hands. And now David's thinking, I did the same thing. What is going on? How the mighty have fallen. They, the Israelites used to sing, to sing my praises as being their leader. They were rallying behind me and now they've turned on me and now they are with my son, Absalom. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, the servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall choose. So David still has some loyalty around him. And may I, may I propose this to all of us? 
If you know where God is and what he's doing and you align with him every morning, make this your personal prayer. Your servant is here, Lord, to do whatever you call me to do, to go wherever you call me to go. I see where God is in this and I'm going to align myself with God today. The servants of David saw this. They knew God was, had his hand on David and they wanted to align with David. So the king said to them and all of his household, they set out and they left. He left no one behind except 10 of the concubines to look after the palace. The king and all the people set out on foot, pausing at the last house. Now, David left the hands, uh, the, the, his house in the hands of 10 servants. And I, I thought to myself, I was like, why, why was David doing that? Why, you know, why would you keep 10 of your servants there to take care of your house unless you had an idea that maybe, just maybe, you might come back? And then you start to think, why does David think he's going to come back? His kingdom is slipping through his fingers. In, the, in that day and age, when a new king took over, the old king never came back. But yet David, I think, knew the goodness of God. And he understood that God still could if he chose to step in and bring him back. God still could do something here to make all things good and right again. Maybe, just maybe, God is still good. And I'm gonna trust in that. I think that's what David's heart was saying. David's mind was saying, I gotta run. David's heart was saying, but God. Your mind's gonna tell you something when the battles happen all the time. Your mind's gonna say, uh-oh, we need to do this, this, and this. Your heart and your spirit should be the one stepping in saying, but God, but God, God's good. Where's God in this? So I think David's knowing, he's, he knows that. He's saying, okay, well, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna leave my house, but I'm gonna leave 10 servants here because just maybe God might do something here. Now, Jesus is, is, is the shadow king of what's to come. And just like David, um, Jesus said he'd be back, right? So he's, I think in a, in a weird way, David is kind of prophetically exempt, is, is, a, is a painting a picture of, of what Jesus was going to do in this same region, the same area. John 14, Jesus says this when he's, a, he's getting ready to um, uh, tell his disciples, I'm going to leave, I'm gonna, but I'm going to send my spirit, so, but take heart. Don't, don't be afraid. I'm coming back. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And he says this, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The shadow of what's to come. The Shadow King series. Why did David run? I want to maybe take, turn a corner here a little bit and just say, okay, if David really knew God was good, why didn't David say, no, God's good. God gave me the kingdom. God absolutely has his anointing on me. I'm going to stay and fight. I think it's, I think there's more than just two things. I'm going to highlight two, but I want to say this first and foremost, and it's not on here. David loved Absalom. He, it's his son. David didn't want to go to war with Absalom in the same way David didn't want to go to war with Saul, but he wasn't going to do anything to defend himself. He was going to let God fight his battles. I think that was a great lesson that we need to take into heart ourselves. Sometimes we want to get in there and fight our own battles. I'm that way. I know we're all that way. You've got to stop and just say, okay, Lord, are you calling me to step into this battlefield right now? Or are you saying, hold on, I will be your defender. David knew that God was going to be his defender and he was trusting that God would step in, but he didn't want to fight Absalom because so, he loved him. 
David wanted to also spare the city that he loved. As I said earlier, David said, if we leave now, we won't die. Absalom won't kill us. And it will spare the people of Jerusalem. And he loved Jerusalem. Secondly, David knew how to survive in the, in the wilderness. He was a fugitive from Saul for 10 plus years. He could do this again. He could hide in the mountains of uh, the caves of En Gedi. He could, he could do the, the wilderness fugitive thing. And he's pretty good at it. You know, he's kind of almost, uh, you guys ever see the movie, The Fugitive? What was that? Uh, um, here, yeah, yeah, Harrison Ford, right? He was, he was like, like, David's probably that good, okay? You know, could kind of like wander around, you know, dodge the bad guys. And, you know, so David was, I think he, he knew his skill set. So he said, I'm going to run. But it wasn't easy. David didn't want to do it, but he understood that, I think this is because of me. I think he had to, he had to know. He, the words of, of Nathan the prophet are echoing back in his head. Nathan said, this was going to happen because you have dis, you've disobeyed God. You've done wicked things in God's eyes. Okay, this is, what I, this is what I get. God's just, but God is good. And maybe, just maybe, God will intervene on my behalf. And as they marched past him, all his men marched past him, along with all the Kirathites, the Pelathites, the Gittites, the Termites. I don't know. I'm just... You know, that joke works every time. I just want to tell you that, okay? <laughs> all right. Uh, you know, all these people. Now, remember, I said, remember the city of Gath in the Song of the Bow. The city of Gath is the Philistine city. It's the enemy city at the beginning of 2 Samuel. And now you see all of these people being loyal to David are not his own people. This is the beauty of this passage right here. You think that you have to have some special birthright to align with God. That's not true. You just have to know what God's doing and have faith to follow what God is doing. Jesus went to his own people. The Bible says he came to those who were his own and his own people rejected him. In John 1, it says this, uh, he, Jesus came to his own people and, every, and they even rejected him, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. One of my pet peeves in Christendom is when people say, all humans are God's children. We're all God's children. Have you guys ever heard that before? That is a lie, okay? That is absolute lie. And, I'm, and I, I say that sort of jokingly, but I'm also being very serious here too. Like, you, we're not God's children. We, our flesh has made us enemies of God. Our sin has separated us from God. We have no birthright to the throne. But God, from the gift of his son Jesus, like we celebrated communion, we remembered what God did for us, he has given us a new birth and to those who believe and accept him. Now remember, it's not just one or the other. You have to believe in him and you have to accept him. The devil believes in Jesus. Satan absolutely believes in Jesus. There is no doubt in my mind that Satan knows that Jesus exists. He's an enemy of God, though. Why? Because he does not accept him as God. He wants to be God. The question for you is, will you accept him as God of your life, or will you make yourself God of your life? The devil chose himself. What are you going to do? But if you do that, he gives you the right to become a child of God, just like you were born into the family. When a prince is born to a king and a queen, what is the birthright of that prince? To be the king someday. That is what God is doing here. He's saying, you are part of my household. When you believe and accept Jesus Christ, I will give you the right to be a son or a daughter. You know, God 
this is, the, this is the mystery of God. God is the most exclusive God that this world has ever seen. And in the same time, he's the most inclusive God this world has ever seen. And what do, you, what do I mean by that? You might be saying, Pastor Micah, that doesn't make any sense. There's only one way to get to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through him. You can't have it any other way. Very exclusive. Narrow is the path to salvation. Wide is the path to destruction. Very exclusive. However, you don't have to be of a special tribe. You don't have to be of a special nation, a special tongue. It's open to anyone. All you have to do is have faith and believe and accept that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. Anyone can have it. And we see amazing stories like this all throughout Scripture. One of the great stories that I love going back to is the story of Rahab the prostitute. So just like we started with Joshua there in the beginning of this message, later on in that passage, Joshua is getting ready to go in and take Jericho, just like the pre-incarnate Christ told Joshua to do. Well, when he sends in two spies, they meet a woman from Jericho, and this is how it goes. Joshua secretly sent out two spies from his, the Israelite camp, and he instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. And Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they, where they went from here. They left the town at dusk, and as the gates were about to close, I don't know where they went, but if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. But actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath the bundles of flax she had laid out. So here's a foreign woman, and the lowest of the low as far as the Israelites are concerned, because she's a foreigner and she's also a prostitute in a foreign nation. And yet she sees what God is doing, and she goes on to tell the, the spy, she says, hey, I know your God is the real God. We have seen his exploits. He, we fear him. I don't want to be against him. I want to do something to let you know that I'm actually on God's side. And she takes in the spies. And then as they're leaving, she says, would you please just remember me? And they say, hang a scarlet thread out of your window. Get your family into the house. And when the city goes into destruction, you will all be protected. What is that a picture of? A scarlet, a red thread is the picture of the blood of Jesus covering us. This was so prophetic, and it was the thread of redemption that runs all throughout history. Now, here's what happens. This is the cool, this is the cool part of the story. In Joshua 6, then it says, The Israelites burned the town of Jericho and everything in it, just like the pre-incarnate Christ told Joshua to do. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in her house, because she had hidden the spies of Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. So Rahab didn't just believe, she acted on that belief. She took her faith and said, I'm going to do something that, that aligns with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it says, she lives among the Israelites to this day. I want you to know that's not just in that day. That is, she lives among the believers of faith to this day. The faith of a prostitute God used to bless the whole world. What do I mean by that? Well, go to the genealogy of, of Jesus. This is the messianic genealogy from Adam to Christ. You see Adam, Noah, Abraham, King David, and then the line of Mary produces Jesus Christ. 
Okay, and we see that Mary was, was birthed, the, 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 the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and the seed of the Holy Spirit was put into Mary. It wasn't the seed of man, because men's seed had, had fallen, we had sin in our seed. It was God's seed in Mary, and we get Jesus Christ. But God used men to do this, but he also used women to do this. Now, look closely. It's a little, sorry, it's a little pixely here, but... I want you to remember this name here, Salmon. Okay, Salmon. We're gonna. I'm gonna show you something. What Matthew one says about who Salmon was. This is the lineage of Jesus, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here's where all of that line came from. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Then, then Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab. You know what? It's you get the idea, okay? These people are important. The father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Okay, remember, I said... Remember this name right here. Salmon had a son, and his name was Boaz. Okay, you may know Boaz from the story of Ruth. Well, guess whose guess who's mother, or who the mother of Boaz was? Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. God grafted her into the people of Israel. She met a man named Salmon. They got married. They had a son. They produced Boaz. Boaz then was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, which in Jesse was the father of David. And then we got Jesus Christ, the son of the living God through that. The messianic genealogy was, was used by, by God in an amazing way, but the faith of a prostitute was used to bless the whole world. Boy, does that, like, if God can do that with a Jericonian prostitute, think about what he can do with you. <laughs> right? Isn't it awesome? If you hear the lies of the devil whispering in your ears ever, yeah, God can't use you. If only people knew what, what you've done. If only the things of your past get out, God can't use you. All you have to do is be like, devil, get out of here with your lies. God used Rahab in the lineage of Jesus. He can use me too. Right? That's what you have to do. This is, this, is the, this is the beauty of the gospel. It's for everyone. God is saying, listen, I just want faith. And I want you to be on my side. And then amazing things happen. Then the king turned and said to Ittai, the leader of the men of Gath, the Philistine leader. Okay, this is the, the city of Gath. The Ittai from that city came. And he's now aligning with David because he's seeing what God is up to. And he's like, you know what? This God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob keeps kicking our butt in battle. I think he might be real. I'm going to actually start following him instead. Remember, they had their God. The Philistines had their God. His name was Dagon. He was the fish God. He wasn't doing a very good job of being a good God. And I think they realized, like, you know what? I'm going to go over here to this God over here that David serves. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to align myself with him. That's Ittai. Ittai is the leader of the men from Gath. Why are you coming with us, David said. Go back, to the king, go back to King Absalom. Oh, my goodness. David just literally said, okay, this is the new king. King Absalom, for you are a guest in Israel and a foreigner in exile. And by the way, you just got here yesterday, is what the king says. You only arrived recently. It was really just one day earlier. And should I force you today to wander with us? I don't even know where we will go. Go back and take your kinsmen with you, and may the Lord show his unfailing love and faithfulness. 
So Ittai, the leader of a Philistine city, brings his men, aligns with David because he's starting to see what God is doing. And now all of this family drama is destroying everything. It would be very easy for this guy to be like, ooh, I was going to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I just stepped into this drama that I don't know, like, and I'm not about drama, okay? You know, I don't want that drama, you know? We're just going to go back and go back to Dagon. At least he's not dramatic, all right? So uh, he could have done that, but he didn't do it. He says this. He says to the king, I vow by the Lord and by your own life that I will go wherever my Lord the king goes, no matter what happens, whether it means life or death. I highlighted Lord because it's in all caps. When, when it's in all caps, what he says, he's saying the name Yahweh, the name that is so revered in the Jewish custom, in the Hebrew language, that they removed the vowels from it because they didn't even want to say the whole name. He says, I swear by Yahweh and by your own life that I see what God is doing. I'm aligning myself with God right now and dang it, I'm not moving. Whoa! A foreigner named Ittai invokes the name of Yahweh because he can see it better than even the son of the king can see it. Absalom should have been the guy to say what Ittai is saying, but Ittai is the one saying, nope, I'm with you because because of your God. Not because of you, David. You're kind of an idiot and do some dumb things, but I see God in this and I'm with God. That should be our heart. When you go to a church, wherever God plants you, there's going to be dumb people at that church. I promise you. Okay. I've been in church world for a long time, met a lot of dumb people, especially people who work in the church. All right. And it's just because we're people and we are. I'm putting myself in the category of dumb people, by the way. Okay. It's not just, you know, I like, I will do not things right all the time. But what you should be doing is not looking at the Christian and saying, well, I'm going to follow the Christian. You should be looking at Christ and saying, I'm going to follow the Christ. And I know there's a lot of drama. I know that's not ideal all the time, but we're going to work through this because I'm not moving, dang it. I'm following God. I'm literally staying where God is at. I'm going to be on the side of God. Ruth, okay, we're going to go to Boaz. Boaz married a woman named Ruth. Ruth herself was a foreigner. Look how God is using these foreigners who have no understanding really of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they just see what God is doing. And they say, you know what? I'm going to go there. Ruth, replying to her mother-in-law, Naomi, says this, don't ask me to leave and turn back. Naomi was a Jew. She had lost her husband, Ruth, uh, and her sons that were married to her daughter-in-laws. And now Naomi, she's desolate. And she's saying, woe is me. I'm going to die here. Ruth, I, I absolve you. You don't have to stay with me. Go back to your own people. And Ruth says, I see God in this. And she says, don't ask me to leave you, Naomi, and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, Yahweh, punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And you know what God did with that faithfulness? He said, you know what? I'm going to use you in the line of Jesus, too. Married Boaz. And this is, I mean, this should blow your minds. These are, not, these are not the Christians. These are foreigners. These are the people who were anti-God and just said, you know what, I see God. I'm going to follow God. Through the faith of Rahab, Ruth, and Ittai, they, God used them powerfully to bless the world. And you know what? That type of faithfulness, that type of faith in a sea of treachery is like an island of fidelity. It's this beautiful island where you can take hold of and you can say, no, there's faithfulness here. I see God. All of the world around me is storming. All of the world around me is throwing waves at me and trying to destroy me. But 
There's somebody that I would have never in a million years thought could be that island. A Philistine. David was the enemy of the Philistines. And yet there was a Philistine that said, you know what? I see God in this, David. I'm with you. Boy, fidelity comes when you are in tune with God's heart. Ittai had to know what God was doing and had to see it. And if he didn't, he wouldn't have been loyal. Now, infidelity comes when you are unaware or opposed to God's heart. You got to know. You got to know where God's going. People, I know people are unfaithful to the Lord. Sometimes it's just because they don't know what they don't know. And other times it's because they actually are opposed. They say, no, I don't want God to be God. I would like me to be God. That's the problem. Where are you today? Are you in tune with God's heart? Do you know where he is? Do you know where he's going? And are you on his side? David replied to Ittai, he said, all right, come with us. So Ittai and all of his men and their families went along. Everyone cried loudly as the king and his followers passed by. They crossed the Kidron Valley and they went out toward the wilderness. Now I like to, when I'm, when I'm studying this, I like to go and actually put, put a, a visual on where they were actually going. And so when I went to Israel about 10 months ago, we went out in the morning. Uh, we, we woke up one morning, we were staying at this hotel in Jerusalem and, um, and Nobody was at the desk when we went down to the front desk. And we were going to ask. We were like, you know, is it safe to just go out about 6 o'clock in the morning and go running? Nobody was there. It was me and two other guys. And we were kind of like, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. We'll be, we'll be okay, right? So we go out. We go running around. We get back about an hour later after this amazing run. And someone's at the desk. And they were like, oh, where are you guys coming from? We are like, oh, we just went running around the city. And she was like, you did what? <laughs> did you have, like, security with you? Like, where'd you go? We told her. And she's like, you did what now? You probably shouldn't do that again. Or <laughs> like, oh, okay, good to know. But we went running around the Kidron Valley. And we went around the walls of, of the old city. And I want to show you some of these pics because this is where David was actually going. So, so here is, so these are the two guys that run. He's going to be a future U.S. senator in Utah. And this guy's a state rep in Pennsylvania. They're just amazing, you know, leaders. And they, they have a heart for, you know, what God is doing in Israel. And, but, so, so we're running. Now, this is the Mount of Al- Olives right here. So this is the old wall of the city, and the Kidron Valley is right down in down here. So I'll, I'll show you some pictures of that here in a second. But I want you to notice this. This looks like just a, a mountain of stone, and it's not really just natural stone. What the what the Mount of Olives is? It's a it is full of ossuary boxes, tombs. These are people's bodies in these boxes, and you know why people want to be buried on the Mount of Olives? Because the Mount of Olives is where Jesus ascended into heaven. When he said, you know, uh, BRB, be right back. You know, he's like, he goes up into heaven. He says, BRB, hang on, I'm coming, I'm coming back. Do you know where his foot is going to step down when he does come back? The Mount of Olives. Jesus literally ascended from right here. That's pretty cool, like, to see, like, to actually be at the place where Jesus ascended. And so I'm running, I'm breathing, trying to, like, stable the phone, you know, be like, that's where Jesus ascended. Oh, I am way out of shape. I need... <laughs> And so I got a good pick of it, and, and, he, and he's going to come right back down there. When he steps on that, that land, all of the dead will rise in Christ first. All of the dead will rise in Christ. Those who are in Christ will, will rise. And that's, that's the prophecy. And then the, the valley, the, the mountain will split, and water will run out of it, and water will flow down to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea will no longer be dead anymore, and life will begin to spring back up in the Dead Sea. So like, you're like, oh man, this is awesome. So, so that was the Mount of Olives. So David's down in this valley right here. So this is a better picture of the valley. So he's now weeping. He's crossing the Kidron Valley and he's starting to go up the Mount of Olives. 
You can see um, over here, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where Jesus would have prayed his last prayer right there. And so then he was betrayed. The soldiers came and led him back into the, the city. Um, so right here, better, this is, again, Kidron Valley. Here's the, you can see the graves over here. The Mount of Olives is up here. This is a good view of the, of the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is David's palace. This is from the city of David. This is, they've unearthed the palace of David. And this would, David would have looked down. This is all Palestinian. Um, this is the Palestinian homes right here. So David would have been walking right up here, and he would have started his ascent when he started weeping over the city. He would have started right there. He would have gone, he would have gone right there. And this was from David. David's living room. They unearthed this a few years ago. This is literally his palace. They found, they found artifacts that this was where David actually was. And just so you know, David was a worship leader, so he had moving LED lights as well. He loved those. <laughs> if you ever have a problem with moving LED lights, I'm sorry, it's in the house of David. Like, this is what we do, okay? So he had a heart of a worshiper. So uh, I'm just kidding, by the way, just so everyone knows. All right. So, so that's, this is where he would have been looking. I like to just go back and see, okay, what, what does it mean to cross the Kidron Valley? What does it mean to walk up the Mount of Olives weeping? And as they began doing all of that, Zadok and the Levites also came along, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They sat down the Ark of God, and Ab Abiathar offered sacrifices until everyone had passed out of the city. So Abiathar, just so you guys know these characters, he was David's personal chaplain, and Zadok was a, a renowned priest in the area. So they're, they're seeing what God's doing. They're, they're saying, okay, we know that God is with David, and we're, we're going to be with David. And here's what, here's what David says. Then the king instructed Zadok, he said, hey, you know what, take the ark of God back to the city. Zadok had to probably be thinking, wait, what? The ark of God is the most prized possession in all of Israel. You are the rightful king. Take the ark with you, David. And David says, no, take it back into the city if the Lord sees fit. See, this is David's heart. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. David knew that. And he says, if the Lord sees fit to rescue me, he will rescue me. And if the Lord sees fit that I should die, then let him do what is right in his own eyes. He trusts God. He trusts the Lord. He will, he will do what seems best to him. David knew history of the Israelite people. Before David was born, David had known this story. There was a story, and we studied it in 1 Samuel last year when we were in it. It was when Eli was the priest, and the Israelites went into this battle with the Philistines, and they lost the battle. And all the elders of Israel come, and they say, they say what happened? The Philistines attacked us and defeated us. They killed 4,000 of our men. And they come after the battle is over and the troops retreated to their camps and the elders of Israel asked, why did Yahweh allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Now, what was happening was God was trying to wake Israel up. So you guys are walking away from me. I'm trying to get you to come back to me. I allowed this because you're sinning and walking away from me, come back to me. But they don't realize that. They, they think, oh, we're great people. We're really good. Our righteousness is great. God, obviously, there's gotta be some secret sauce here that we missed. What can we do? So they say this, oh, I got it. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh, and if we carry it in the battle, it will save us. Now, I don't remember the last time saying of an almighty God, you are in it. <laughs> okay? It will save us. Who speaks of God that way? Nobody, if they know who God is, they'll say he will save us. Our Father will save us. But they said it will save us. What does that tell you? They want to use this thing as a good luck charm. They think the Ark of the Covenant is just a good luck charm and they can just bring it in the battle and that'll do the trick. But David said, I'm not going to do that because David feared the Lord. 
He said, you know, God, my, hand, my life is totally in your hands. Do with me what you will. And whatever you seem to do, it will be in the best interest of, of me and it will be just. And the king told Zadok, the priest, he said, look, here's my plan. You and Abiathar should return quietly to the city with your son Ahimaaz and Abiathar's son Jonathan. I will stop at the shallows of the Jordan River and wait there for a report from you. So Zadok and Abiathar took the ark of God back to the city and stayed there. And David walked up the road of the Mount of Olives, right where I showed you there, going past where those Palestinian houses were, weeping as he went. And his head was covered and his feet were bare as a sign of mourning. And the people who were with him covered their heads and wept as they climbed the hill. And remember the people who were with them, they were the foreigners. Very few of them were actually Israelites. They were the ones that saw what God was doing. He said, I want to be on God's side. And someone told David, his advisor, that Ahithophel was now backing Absalom. And David prayed, O oh Lord, let Ahithophel give Absalom foolish advice. One of David's great advisors had betrayed him. Again, just another blow that was breaking David. His son is betraying him. One of his trusted advisors is now betraying him. The whole world seems to be turning on him. And he's weeping and grieving over that. And David reached the summit of the Mount of Olives where people worshiped God. And Hushai the archite was waiting there for him. And Hushai had torn his clothing and put dirt on his head as a sign of mourning. And David told him, he said, if you go with me, you will only be a burden. Return to Jerusalem and tell Absalom, I will now be your advisor, O king, just as I was your father's advisor in the past. Then you can frustrate and counter Ahithophel's advice. Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, will be there. Tell them about the plans being made in the king's palace and then send their sons, Ahimaaz and Jonathan. They'll tell me what's going on. And so David's friend, Hushai, returned to Jerusalem, getting there just as Absalom arrived. So David, you know, he, he trusts the Lord. He's also being shrewd. He's saying, you know, I, I, as somebody that is running for my life, I need to know what the king is up to. I need to be able to understand what's going on in their strategy. So he's setting up aspiring. But, but David then just goes on to the Mount of Olives and he's weeping over everything. He's weeping over just the destruction of the city that, that could befall it. He knows that God is not gonna be pleased with Absalom. And just like David weeping on the Mount of Olives, then we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's weeping over the same city on the same mountain for what is going to come. The shadow king. He's this is the prophetic picture of what is happening. It's just amazing. Now, David wasn't perfect, and he, he reaped the consequences of his sin. Jesus was perfect, but he took on the consequences of our sin. You may be in this place now. You may be saying, well, Pastor Mike, I have a checkered past. I, I just don't know if God would ever use me. I'm telling you right now, if you have the faith to believe and accept Jesus Christ as Lord, just like Rahab, just like Ruth, and just like Ittai, you will be used by God in such an amazing way. He will graft you into, his, into sonship. You will be a son or a daughter of the greatest high king. He doesn't take prerequisites. He doesn't say you have to do X, Y, and Z. He says, you just have to have the faith to believe me. Don't you want that for your life? Don't you want the blessings of God? But you got to know where God is and you got to get on God's side. Just like Abraham Lincoln said, my concern is not that God is on our side. My concern is that we are on God's side because I know God is always right. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm going to invite the prayer team down and you know, just during this song, just begin to ask yourself, Lord, am I on your side? And if you need prayer, if you need someone to help just 
If you need someone to help uh, just pray you through the struggles that you're going through, maybe you don't know where God is in this. Well, ask the Lord. Say, Lord, give me the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And he will. Or maybe your pride is getting in the way. You're saying, Lord, I'm really having a hard time making you God and taking myself off the throne. Well, let the prayer team pray over you that the spirit of pride would be broken. Give God your heart and you will be on God's side. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.